Hi, this is Rollo Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We just want you to know we are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. And once again, welcome. Okay, we hope that you were able to enjoy that worship set. And um, again, we're so glad that you chose to come and worship with us today. We're going to continue our worship now with the preaching of God's word. And today what we're doing is we're jumping into part two of our new series entitled The God Who Is. And today we're going to entitle this message, The God of All Compassion. The God of All Compassion. And boy, don't we need to understand God and really meet with God as the God of all compassion during times like ours. And over the next several weeks, we want to look at the scripture to better understand this God of all compassion and the God who is in his multifaceted nature and his characteristics that help us to really find great joy as we come to know what he's revealed about himself and why we in fact worship him. But today we're going to focus on this statement that we will more fully understand God's motives when we discover his heart of compassion. And so today we're going to break the message into three parts. We're going to talk about a motive of compassion. We're going to talk number two about the language of compassion, meaning that even as we get to know God's heart for compassion, it helps us to better communicate his compassion to others. And then number three, we're going to talk about compassion and the cross. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you are the God of all compassion, who's come to show who you are to us and to save us by your great compassion and love. God, we're asking you that you would help us to be transformed by seeing you in this way today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's start by talking about a motive of compassion. So what does it mean that God is, in fact, compassionate? We know that it's good news because when we hear the word compassion or we hear that God is compassionate, obviously that's a good thing. But what does it mean that the God that we're coming to worship, the God who is making an approach to us, and uh, for some of you who may not have made a decision for Jesus yet, the God who's actually drawing you to himself, what does it mean that this God is a God of compassion? Well, the word used for compassion in the New Testament can actually be translated to feel sympathy. To feel sympathy. And this means that God is driven by his sympathy towards his creation and the people in the world that he created whom he loves. Some of you are familiar with a famous scripture where God said this in John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, and that means everyone in the world, that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And this is God clearly expressing his compassion to the world, which he loves. Yeah, when we look at different scriptures throughout the Bible and specifically throughout the New Testament, we can see examples of God's compassion and the motivation of compassion that drives him on. And we see it in Jesus' ministry where he revealed part of God's heart whenever he was looking on a crowd who came to him for ministry. And we see this in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you would, please read this with me and let's really reflect on what God's showing us about himself and this compassion that he has for you, that he has for me, and that he has for our world. It says this in Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. Want that to sink in. Now we see Jesus was actually ministering to this great crowd, but he identified something about them. And I think that in reading this passage, we can learn at least five things about God and his compassion as he relates to us and as he relates to the world around us. Number one, we can see that God's compassion is actually inclusive. Though he makes exclusive claims about himself, meaning that there is only one God and there's only one way to God through his son, Jesus Christ, God's compassion for the world is ultimately inclusive. And Jesus, what we see in this Matthew 9 passage, was compassionate in that he was on the move to go wherever there was need. And we see that Jesus had compassion for his people, that Jesus, when he came in the flesh, was born of a Jewish lineage. And so Jesus had compassion for his people, the Jewish population that was under the oppression of Roman rule during that time. But throughout his ministry, we also see that Jesus had compassion for the Gentiles, the Romans, and those who weren't Jewish, who were also part of the unjust system that were oppressing the Jews. Now, Jesus knew that without the life-saving work that he would accomplish on the cross, they, meaning everyone in the crowd, would not only destroy themselves, 
but they would also be, every one of them, destined for hell. Yet God in his compassion came to provide salvation for those from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every language. His compassion was inclusive for them all. And I think when we look on our landscape today and all of the divisions that are forming, especially in our nation at the moment, we need to remember that God's compassion is inclusive of everyone. Number two, we see that God's compassion is instructive. We see that Jesus in this Matthew 9 scripture, it said that he went around teaching and Jesus did not come primarily to criticize the world, but to educate people about the truths of the kingdom of heaven and save people through these truths. This is important that God is a teacher that before he points fingers at people, he teaches them and gives them a standard to rise to, an expectation that he has of them and also gives them what we should have as an expectation towards him. He teaches us about his kingdom. He teaches us about himself and then calls us to follow him. Number three. God's compassion is healing. And that's good news. God's compassion is healing, even in the midst of his teaching and even in the midst of us, um, God showing us the error of our ways and showing us where our systems or our society has um, gone, uh, gone astray in the way that we've treated one another, or that we've uh, actually treated our citizens or treated people who are our neighbors. God's compassion is a healing one. And he said that in this passage of Matthew chapter 9, when he was talking to the crowds, he expressed his compassion by being a healer. And God wants to express his compassion by being a healer to us and to our nation today. Jesus did not simply leave people in their suffering but used his supernatural power to alleviate. What the scripture says is he used his supernatural power to alleviate every disease and affliction. And that's good news, even in the midst of the pandemic in which we find ourselves today. And this is part of the good news of the gospel, that whether now or in the life to come, as a follower of Christ, you will be made completely whole, even in your body, by the God of compassion. That's part of the good news of the gospel. And that's part of God expressing his compassion to those that he loves. Number four, God's compassion is indiscriminately involved. And what that means is that God's not choosing who he will and will not show his compassion to or why or why they are not deserving of his compassion. Whenever he looks at the world, he's compassionate because he is. That's just part of his nature. And we observe that God is compassionate and that he's attentive and sees all. That Jesus saw the crowds and said that they were harassed 
and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in all of the rioting and in all of the uh, conflict that we see one side versus another and people coming into battle against what they hold to be dear and true to themselves, we see that Jesus in his compassion looking on the crowds, even in our nation today, he sees that our nation and the crowds that are forming in the midst of it are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it means that he, in his compassion, sees the crowd, just like he saw so many years ago, sees them in their pain. Wherever they might find themselves and wherever they might have come from. He understands that each person has a different story and reason for their pain. Matter of fact, whenever Jesus was looking at the crowd in Matthew 9, it said that he didn't scorn their pain or look down on their pain. He made no mention of how he was opposed to their pain, but identified it instead. And many in the crowd would have been convinced probably that they were dealing with life as they needed to, or really the only way that they knew how. And if things stunk in their present condition, then they just stunk. That's just the way things are. Yet Jesus had compassion on these people and did not leave them as they were. Meaning that Jesus was indiscriminately involved in their situation to address and change people's situations, no matter where they were coming from. Now, others in the crowd might have felt like they had it all together. Yet even those in the crowd, in the crowd, Jesus was discern those people, Jesus was discerning enough to see right through their deceptions and facades. Jesus in his compassion sees through ours as well. And he realized that even the people who might have thought they had it all together were frustrated, disoriented, confused, and lost in life because of their sin. And how often do we see that today? How many images have you seen today by uh, in, in our present time of people who by the world standards might seem to have it all together. But if you pull back the veil, they're frustrated, they're in distress, they're scared. They're scared about life and what's to come. And they don't realize that it's their sin and the sin that's been perpetuated in our nation and in our lives that's really causing this affliction in them. But Jesus, in his compassion, looks at them too, looks at us too, and says he wants to heal. Number five, we see from that Matthew 9 scripture that God's compassion also finds redemptive solutions. God's compassion finds redemptive solutions. That when Jesus looked at the crowds, he did not qualify. This is so important. Jesus did not qualify why they were or were not worthy of his compassion. He simply gave it. Yet how often are we guilty of doing the exact opposite? Qualifying why somebody, especially people that are set, have set themselves up as our enemies or we've perceived as our enemies, 
we tried to qualify why somebody is or is not worthy of the compassion from us or from God. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus gave his compassion and he gave it with redemptive solutions. For he knew that all in the crowd were guilty of some sort of sin for which he had come to die for them. And Jesus came to save all who would turn to him, every one of us who were willing to turn to him in repentance from those sins in faith. When Jesus called the crowd helpless, he was understanding enough to know that they and we could not fix themselves. They needed a savior and Jesus, with these redemptive solutions, stepped in to fit the bill. This is what it means that Jesus was motivated by his compassion. He saw the need and offered himself, the good shepherd, as the solution. And God's compassion motivates a growing, ongoing, and multi-generational solution. That's why even in the Old Testament, you heard God describing himself continually in his redemption plan for the world as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's always thinking about a growing, expanding, multi-generational solution to the sins and the ills of our nations. This is how he moves. And Jesus enlisted in this Matthew 9 passage, he enlisted others who would also be concerned about the cause of humanity's desperate state. Jesus was compassionate in that he developed an, a never-ending stream of leadership development. That's what he's doing even today. Those who administer his gospel to the world and make disciples to turn the masses from the sin causing their death and suffering from those things to himself. Jesus is also compassionate in that he continually fills people with the hope of what God can do. He said, listen, you see them in their desperate state that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But I'm telling you, the harvest is plentiful for these people to come from that harassed and helpless state to a place of being reconciled with me and thus reconciled with one another. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's reminding us of the hope of what God can do. And if you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, whether it be because of the pandemic or the social unrest that we see around us today, you will fall into a depression and to a broken state. That is why God is kind enough to remind us over and over and over again that the harvest that he's coming to save is plentiful. So we should pray for laborers to be the brokers of God's life-saving gospel and be those brokers ourselves. We need to always remember that compassion is not just a word or a sentiment, but it's always expressed in action. This is why what immediately follows this Matthew 9 verse that we just read is 
Jesus speaking in Matthew 10, when he says, I want you to first pray for laborers to go into this plentiful harvest field. But then immediately in Matthew 10, starting in verse one, it talks about Jesus enlisting people to send them out. So the very prayers that we're praying oftentimes were the answers to those prayers. God Almighty is saying like, listen, God is saying, we are the very answers to the ills in the society in which we face. Now, this is why we also need to understand the language of compassion. We need to understand the language of compassion whenever we understand the heart of God and what God wants to do. And there is a language of God's compassion that we all need to learn. Because God is a God of compassion, we learn the language of compassion when we understand that people's experiences actually matter. Whether you've been exposed to another person's reality before or not, you need to understand that what people have experienced is what is true. And the way that God enters into people's uh, experiences is by validating that which they've experienced and thus so do we, and then brings them to the place of his deliverance. Now, to be faithful ministers of the gospel, we must enter compassionately, like God, into people's experience with humility to learn how they've been harassed and helpless, like Jesus talked about. It is after this that we have a bridge to bring the truth of God's love and word to lift them to Christ. This is why C.S. Lewis, whenever he was talking in his book, The Problem of Pain, said this, talking about the need for us developing um, a language of compassion. He said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. And what we're uh, expressing here is that some people in our uh, nation have experienced real physical pain. Some people have experienced economic pain. Some people have experienced mental pain. Some people have experienced relational pain. Regardless of what it is, God's compassion meets people where they are to draw people to himself. And so we need to develop a language that will help build the bridge to express that. And I want to give you at least five helps within this uh, language development that can express God's compassion. So how do we express God's compassion? Well, when speaking to people in turmoil, you can say things like these. Number one, I'm so saddened that hurt you. When people are in pain, the way that you can express God's compassion is by letting them know that you're affected by that which has affected them, that you're grieved by what has in fact grieved them. This is the empathy that we were talking about several weeks ago in our justice series. This allows people to know that you see them like God sees them. Number two, 
you can say this, please tell me your story. Please tell me your story. Share your story with me. This lets people know that you care. And there is no compassion without caring. And so letting people communicate their story to you actually expresses God's compassion to them. Number three, you can say this, I'd like to hear more. I'd like to hear more. And when you say, I'd like to hear more, what that implies is that you know and you realize that you don't know everything. But in fact, you have something to learn about another man or another woman's situation that can help you build a heart of compassion or develop a heart of compassion towards them as God, who's the all-knowing one, already has in and of himself. And what this term, I'd like to hear more, also communicates is that you're interested in finding a comprehensive godly solution with them. You're coming alongside of them to work together for a solution that mutually benefits you unto God's glory. Number four, you can use this terminology. How can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And by asking this question, this points people to the God of all compassion, who's actually the one who can help and save us all. This must be part of our conversation whenever we're looking to provide real and lasting change. And then number five, you can simply use this vocabulary. May I encourage you with something? May I encourage you with something? And when you use this language of compassion, this provides the person with whom you're speaking them hope and the possibility of comfort in God's word. This is why the Apostle Paul, whenever he was talking uh, many, many years later after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection about the relationship that he had with the God of all compassion, he was communicating to the church in Corinth about this relationship this way. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Coming from his compassion, he comforts, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we endure. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You see, that's what 
God wants to do. He wants to develop a language by which you have a depth of relationship with God himself first, that you know God's compassion and you earnestly and you vigorously and you readily run into the arms of God because you know his great compassion for you and you're comforted in all of life's afflictions by that compassion that he has for you. And then with the same comfort that you've received from God, you pay it forward and you give to other people the same comfort that you yourself have received in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why we have to always know that compassion cul-de-sacs and ends in the cross of Christ. It begins and ends in the cross of Christ. That though we were all harassed and helpless, we all also unfortunately sinned. And this is the great irony of humanity's fallen state, that the victims of sin in fighting for themselves can ultimately become the perpetrators of ongoing sin. And I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that so many times before. Think about it even in uh, the early days of marriage, if you're married, that whenever you're trying to create space for yourself and say, these are my boundaries and these are my lines and I won't be taken advantage of it uh, by even my spouse in this way or that way. And then in trying to protect yourself because maybe you've experienced mistreatment before, you end up mistreating the very one who loves you. And that's the nature and the cycle of sin in all of our lives. And the victims become the perpetrators of ongoing sin. And because of this never-ending cycle of fallenness, there is an insurmountable debt that needs to be paid for all of our sins against not just one another, but against a holy God. And only Jesus, the only sinless one, could ever pay it. Jesus' death on the cross gives mankind a hope for eternal redemption no matter how far gone we've been, whether it be personally or as a society. Jesus gives hope by that compassion through what he did for us on the cross. And Christ's compassion towards fallen humanity was ultimately expressed at the cross. He said, you're all in trouble. You're all hell bound. You're destroying your own individual lives and the lives of one another. And I've got to come and rescue you by what I do for you on the cross. He didn't just observe our suffering. He entered into it and provided the solution that we needed to reconcile us with God, meaning bring us back into friendship with God and bring us back into friendship with one another, reconcile us to one another. And how did he do it? He says that when we turn to Christ, who is full of compassion, we are born again. He says, I make you a new person, giving you a new heart and a new spirit on the inside of you. When you turn away from your sin and you turn to Christ, he said, I make you a new man. I make you a new woman from the inside out. And then you have the power by his Holy Spirit that can literally reflect God's compassion to whomever, no matter who they are or what they've done, you can reflect God's compassion to them. And it's the literally the power that can change our world. So what do we do today? We need to come to God 
the God who's motivated by this compassion and really be transformed and healed by it. And then number two, as we learn that compassion, as we relate to one another, we need to learn the language of compassion. And that language of compassion ultimately leads every man and woman to the cross where by God's kindness, his grace, his mercy, and his love, he's ready to reach down and change not only individuals, but the societies that these individuals make up because he's come and met with them and changed them for their eternal good. So would you allow God to do that in you today? Some of you who are watching, you may see this uh, message and you might say, you know what? I, I've been in desperate need of compassion. I feel like I've been a man or a woman on the run and I, I, I feel like I'm really running for my life right now. Feels like tyranny on every side. Hatred here, discord there. And I'm just stressed and bogged down and I need a God who can really save me from my anxieties and my fears. But more than that, save me from the sin that's been reticent in me and that I've been expressing, even in my own sense of self-preservation towards others. And if that's you today and you've never really given your life to Jesus, but you want to come to the God of compassion today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm in desperate need of your compassion. And I thank you that like so many years ago when Jesus looked at the crowds, you look at me as harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. But in your compassion, you've come to apprehend and lay hold of my life today. And I admit to you that I've been rebellious and that I've gone astray and I've destroyed my own life and been destructive in other people's lives because of my sin, my hatred, my discord, my lack of forgiveness towards others. But I'm asking you today to forgive me, God, and to make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus went to the cross for me and took my sin, my punishment, and my shame there. And that because he was completely sinless, you raised him from the dead three days later so I could have forgiveness and new life in you. I say Jesus is my Lord today. I turn to him today. And I'm asking you that you would show me how to love you and others by this compassion that you've shown me in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, the good news is, is that God says you're a new creation. And not only has he made you a new creation, but he wants to show you how to walk out this new life of compassion in him through his word. So would you join me at secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to get involved in a community full of compassion and learn how to walk out this new life in Christ. And if you didn't pray that prayer, but you just want to pray that God would meet you in a fresh way with his compassion today, would you pray this last prayer with me? Almighty God, I am in desperate need of your compassion, not just today, but every day. And I'm asking that you would help me to see you rightly today, that all of the distance that I've felt, all the fear that I've had of coming towards you, God, even as a child of yours, I've walked with you for years, but can still find obstacles between myself and you. 
And God, I'm asking that in my heart, in my mind, you would remove those today and help me find rest in you, knowing that you sympathize with my pain, you sympathize with my plight, you sympathize with that which I'm trying to carry and that God, you are the lifter of my head to you where my help comes from, the God of heaven and earth, full of compassion and love to walk me through my days. God, help me to experience your compassion and then to live full of it towards others. In Jesus' name, amen. And even as we go into our week today, my encouragement to you is continually meet with the God of all compassion. Why? Because he loves you, he'll make you new, and he'll rejuvenate your spirit, your mind, and your soul day by day as you walk with him as a God of compassion. He has it for you, and we encourage you to, through that love that he gives to you, give it to others as well. So God bless you. We'll see you this week in community groups. And please, uh, do bring a friend next week who also needs to experience this compassion from God. God bless you. We love you.